Michigan's Children proudly presents Speaking for Kids, the podcast where we explore crucial conversations impacting the lives of all Michigan children, youth, and families, especially the most vulnerable. Join us each month as we explore public policies and issues in the best interest of our kids and families. We'll bring you lawmakers and policymakers, advocates fighting for change, and the people most affected by those decisions. With our host, Matt Gillard, President and CEO of Michigan's Children, we'll invite you to become engaged too and show you how to take action on what matters most to you. Episodes are recorded live and shared virtually on YouTube and the audio hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Hello, and welcome back to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's Children. I'm your host, Matt Gillard, the president and CEO of Michigan's Children. This is our first episode of 2022 and the ninth episode overall since beginning the podcast series this past year. Today, we're continuing the conversation we started back in December on recommendations from the Michigan House Task Force on Adoption and Foster Care. In our last conversation, we focused on policy priorities related to foster care, a major focus area of ours here at Michigan's Children. Today, we're going to address the recommendations for reforming the state's kinship care system including policy interests we've been strongly supporting at Michigan's Children, including a kinship care navigator program and an advisory council. And for this part of the conversation, we brought back Shannon Urban, an attorney with a ton of experience in the child welfare system, who also serves as the executive director of the new foster care. Shannon played an important role in making recommendations to the task force and resulted in some of the changes we've been talking about. And we also have a very important guest with us today, Riley Frisbee, who's had firsthand experience growing up in a kinship family. At the age of 18 and a high school senior, Riley has become an important youth voice on this issue. And if, if you'd like to read more about her story, go to michiganschildren.org and read her blog. Well, thank you both for being here today. Thank you. So, Riley, why don't we start with you? Why don't you just give our audience a little introduction to yourself and tell us just a little bit about yourself before we begin the conversation. Um, so, I am a kinship kid. I was adopted at the age of two. And I've lived with my grandparents for almost 18 years of my life. Um, I have talked to legislators in like the house about like how like like what kinship care means to me and like how there's some issues that we could talk more about and like just more resources and stuff. I had a brother and he was diagnosed with uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. So I'm like really passionate about like the kids who also like come with the mental problems with being in a kitchen care and like being adoptive and having more resources for them. Great. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being here and thanks for your advocacy efforts as well. Yeah. We'll talk more about those in a little bit. Uh, Shannon, why don't you just reintroduce yourself quickly to our, uh, to our audience here? Yeah. Ann Urban with the new foster care, I think, uh, gave the background attorney, overall advocate. Um, we have a direct service program that works with youth who age out or have had experience with foster care, um, helping them transition to successful adulthood here at the new foster care. Great. Well, like I said in the intro, we talked, uh, you know, kind of on the foster care side of the task force and some of those recommendations on the, the previous episode. Um, and you can find that on our webpage at michiganschildren.org. Uh, any of those, any of you uh, watching this who did not get a chance to see that. Um, but let's jump in a little bit on the kinship side. What are some of the highlights from your end, Shannon, on kind of where the task force ended and some of the recommendations that we might see come out of that? 
Yeah. So I think we talked last time that the the task force, a lot of their recommendations, they were able to get into boilerplate language for the um, 2022 budget. And so um, one of their first recommendations to do sort of an assessment of state kinship care resource center, there is funding opportunities, federal funding opportunity, families first uh, legislation for kinship navigator programs. And so one of the recommendations was to assess that current program, see if it could be, um, if it would qualify and if not, what would need to be to to pull down that federal funding to, um, I guess, broaden the scope of that program that's already. Uh, they also included a recommendation a kinship caregiver advisory council. And I know you're aware, Matt, there was legislation forward, I, I just want to say two sessions that didn't quite make it through. Uh, the department has since uh, set up that advisory council within the department. And so they had just finished application processes for agencies and, and um, stakeholders who wanted to be a part of that council. And I think they're going to be seating the first uh, council relatively shortly. Um, there was a recommendation for improved family findings. And so one of the things that is somewhat problematic with the system is is if a child is removed on an emergency basis, they are sometimes placed in non-relative care, even though there's a priority for relative placement. And oftentimes it may just be that the worker doesn't have the time to do that full investigation into relatives. And so this would add an, a worker who would use this technology that is meant to find relatives, to find Place, potential placements for these youth. Uh, and then the last recommendation that was for a expansion of the definition of kin. So in Michigan, relatives have to be related by blood um, or a step-parent type situation. There's some carve-outs, but the idea would be to expand that definition to include maybe close family friends or what's normally considered sick. And that would expand the possibility of, of placement for kids and keep them in their communities, which I think is one of the, you know, that leads to uh, better outcomes overall. And I'm sure Riley can speak to it, but, you know, the outcomes for placement with your relatives are much better than outcomes for placements in, you know, with strength, a better word. You know, there's more stability in the placement, there's less re-entry into care, there's better mental and physical health outcomes, um, which all just make sense for, you know, overall life success. Sure. So that's a lot. No, and there's a lot of good stuff in there, lots to talk about. So let's kind of break these down. So can you just maybe explain for our audience kind of briefly, uh, maybe what the Kinship Care Navigator program is exactly? So it's it's a state level program that, that caregivers could access to learn about resource support programs, financial assistance, just things that can help them better care for a child that's in their care. So what do you what do you think about that, Riley, from your perspective as having uh, you know grown up in a in a in a kin family uh, as a as a kin kid, I think you called yourself. Um, 
I mean, that, that seems like it would be something that, uh, you know, caregivers like your grandparents could utilize and others that are caring for, for children uh, in a kin setting could, uh, could benefit them. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it's really important for kids to like stay with like their family or like a relative or a friend to give them like some sort of comfort because it is a really big change with kids going into a different kind of home, new environment, new friends, new family. And it's it really takes a toll on somebody. And like if it weren't for my parents and others like them, like we want to have like the safety and protection and the security that we needed like growing up so uh, absolutely you're absolutely right and that navigator program can provide a lot of support for the caregivers as well right that have that have uh, chosen to to do this um okay shannon let's uh so where are we at with the navigator program right now and maybe what's something we could look for for the even moving forward into the fy23 budget um so i know that they did carve out some in the 22 budget and so it'll just be you know implementing that the state got into budget or has different kinship support programs across the state this year yeah absolutely so let's talk a little bit about the advisory council so as you know and, and shannon we've worked together this is an issue that michigan's children's been involved in um specifically for a little while now so my understanding is is i think as you stated that the advisory council the there were applications accepted and that the the membership of that council is being determined right as we speak and and should be announced here soon um even within the next week or two is my understanding so what are what are from your perspective shannon what are some of the things that uh you think should be the immediate uh or maybe will be the immediate focus of that advisory council as they begin their their process of 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 getting together here yeah just looking at best practices you know i think that there's a lot of different programs and even the ones here in michigan um we don't want to be doing a, a, a lot of disbanding you know so making sure that that we're using best practices that we're not necessarily reinventing the wheel um, you know, we're, our agency is supporting a state to launch a program in Oakland and Wayne County, and um, we're using a model that is out of Pennsylvania called a second chance. And I think that one of the benefits that the advisory council could bring together is, you know, making sure that all of these programs are maybe talking, you know, seeing what one, what's not working for another so that we're sharing mistakes and uh, strengths as they build out this year and into the next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so critical. And Riley, maybe you can expand upon that a little bit. I know, uh, I know you're, I don't know how to, how to say this without, uh, but, but your, your primary caregiver, your grandmother um, has been a huge advocate in this area and in this arena. And you've, I'm sure seen how she's been able to help other kinship providers uh, through some of, you know, their experiences, I'm sure, and that networking that has gone on uh, between amongst kinship care providers and how that's benefited um, a lot of different folks. Um, yeah, I love the work that she does. And I have actually applied to be like the youth voice on the council too. So I'm waiting to hear back. Um, oh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> she, I, 
she's the person where I get all my knowledge from and she helped me write my um like my blog and stuff so I her work does was pretty good yeah and I mean you're you're right I mean I think that's what we're trying to see here how we can formalize that and make that you know more more common is is to have other kinship providers uh, be able to connect with folks like like her and others, um, you know, that are going through this. And by by networking and researching together, figuring out uh, how they can be most effective and how they can help each other through, you know, oftentimes what are some challenging situations, but also be the support that that folks need through these through these things. And and you know, I think you're you're fortunate to have seen that firsthand. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of um, kinship providers. Uh, throughout Michigan, throughout the country, certainly, but throughout Michigan, that, that would certainly benefit from a more connected uh, network of groups or folks that uh, are able to help each other through a lot of these situations. I think, too, that the advisory council, so, Riley, I don't know if you um, were placed through the foster care system or if it was outside no, it, w- it was informal. Informal. So yeah. I think that's a huge uh, thing. You know, they say that I think something like 50% of children that are in the foster care system are placed in kinship settings. But, you know, a, a large majority of youth or of young people who are placed with relatives are done outside. And so I think their voice that the Kinship Advisory Council could bring to the table um, because that really is prevention. There's really, you know, when a fam, when if something happens in a family and, a, and family members step forward, the system doesn't need to get involved. And I think that's ideal. Absolutely. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's been one of the big um, push, one of the big pushes from, from like Michigan's children and from the advocacy world is mm-hmm. exactly that, that notion that uh, you're right. I mean, there's almost two different avenues into this, right? There's a formalized foster care system where children are removed, they're in the foster system, and, and then sometimes they are, and, and, and hopefully even more often we can we can help support that. They are placed formally into a kin setting um, through the foster care system, but you're right, the vast majority of children right now that are in a, kin, a kinship provider arrangement or setting are done in an informal basis. And, and that's where we really, you know, the, the state has more of a connection and we have more formal connections with those that have been placed through a formal setting, through a formal process, through the foster care system. But how can we utilize the, the advisory council and how can we direct public resources and state resources towards these informal setting uh, situations that are, that are there and provide support for those kin providers uh, in a way that that's helpful and meaningful. And that's part of the work that I think uh, um, Deb, who we're talking about, has been so effective at and is really driving the driving the charge on. And, and we're certainly thankful to be able to work with at Michigan's Children and that you've seen firsthand, Riley. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, Shannon, that that's a that's a big opportunity area and something that, you know, we're 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 frankly trying to figure out what the best way to to handle that and to address that is, and mm-hmm. and I think we're all hopeful that the advisory council can help us figure out a lot of these things. Yeah, and I think I, I'm I didn't realize that 
I always, it's a difficult thing when you see a council put together and they don't have the voice actual constituent, you know, so someone like Riley, who's in a kinship placement, I'm so excited to be on the council. I think that that's awesome. You know, I think that the voice of the youth is going to be the most important to take into consideration in about this is and the and needs. You know, I mean, we can all uh, do it from an intellectual perspective, but Riley, you're the one that can talk about it first person. Absolutely. And that was a big push from us at Michigan's Children and others. We, I mean, we have a long, our, our organization was frankly founded on the notion that that, that the folks most impacted by the decisions made by policymakers, and in our case, children and families, especially uh, with children, need to be a, at the table and a part of the conversations around these programs. So we pushed hard to make sure that there would be youth voice included on the council. And we're so grateful you applied, Riley. And, and really that's it. Our, our core value as an organization is to include youth voice in these discussions. And frankly, we've had a tremendous amount of impact and success with including youth voice into a lot of conversations around foster care and now hopefully onto the kin side as well. Um, but frankly, when we're able to put young people who have been you know, in the foster care system or have just aged out of the foster care system in front of policymakers and decision makers telling their stories, that's where we often see the biggest impact and, and the biggest drive for change. Uh, so we're thankful, Riley, that of the work you're doing. And maybe you can talk a little bit more about some of the specific experiences you've had in either talking to legislators or talking with folks uh, within the department or others about your experience and, and how you've how you've kind of grown into that and, and whether you enjoy that or not, and maybe some of your experiences. Um, yeah, I like uh, what I like to talk about. So I like I grew up with my grandparents and a lot of people like kinship caregivers are on like fixed incomes mm -hmm. and I like I grew up seeing like my parents live off their retirement money and like when you go into foster care like the state gives like you money and like you have like the resources to help those kids out and like and when you're put in the kinship home you're out of pocket I mean there are like resources but a lot of it comes out of pocket and a lot of these kids have like mental problems and they need like the best counselors to like help them get where they're at. And like my, my brother, we paid a lot of um, all of his counseling out of pocket because he like, he had some issues and he like needed like the best care for him to get to where he is today, so. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've been, you've been actually on the front lines telling those stories um, and talking to policymakers and others about those issues, right? Yeah. What do you think that, about that, that experience? It's not as bad as, as people make it out to be, right? We try no. to get it all the time. And <laughs> once you do it, it's kind of fun, right? Yeah. So I, I, um, there was this like little meeting and I wrote, uh, I read my blog and with to Jack O'Malley and uh, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I forgot the names, but um, so I just had to say like where we're at and what I what's going on and like being the voice of the kids perspective and my mom also kind of wrote in there like the parents perspective too of it so so they could hear like firsthand yeah absolutely and that, I mean that's critical these guys they don't 
Jack O'Malley is a good example. I mean, he, he's a good guy. We don't always agree. You know, he's a, he's a legislator from the northwest part of the state, uh, for those of you listening who don't know. Um, but he doesn't want to hear from me about these issues anymore. They hear from us all the time. <laughs> want to hear from people like Riley and, and people like your grandma and others that are, you know, living this and that are experiencing it and that can tell them firsthand what the issues are and what they need uh, these guys to focus on and what they need help with. And so that's for us to be effective as advocates at Michigan's children or other groups that want to advocate on these issues. We need folks like you, Riley, that are willing to get out there and, and talk about it and, and fight for what you know is right. Yeah. And I do like encourage like the young people and like if anybody's listening who has like kids to like speak out about it because like you hear it from like second party, but mm-hmm. you really need it from like the firsthand people who's experiencing it and going through it. Completely agree. Yeah. Shannon, so how about from your end? What are some of the takeaways maybe you have from an advocacy standpoint around you know, I think we're we're really on the. I think this kinship care issue is is uh, really on the precipice here of becoming a you know a real uh, something we're really able to drive some real change around. Right? It's it's uh, we're getting more attention paid for it. You know, policymakers and decision mm-hmm. makers are are understanding that this is a big issue in their communities, and maybe uh, talk about that a little bit. How we're starting to see the light bulb turn on for some of these folks. Yeah, I mean, I think that. There's, you know, there's been the push towards, you know, and I think that the foundation put a, you know, prioritize prevention and kinship. And I think they kind of go hand in hand. And I think that, you know, what Riley was talking about, though, is one of the big problems attempting to use placements as prevention is that you don't get the financial support that you're in the formal foster care system, but there's also risks in being involved in the formal foster care system. And so, you know, some of the prevention work that I have done on the legal side of trying to help avoid a child welfare petition or a child protection petition, that is some of the pushback that you get from kin caregivers. Like, I really want to take in my relative. I don't want them to go into foster care, but how am I going to support maybe my own family plus this mother, this child? And how am I going to navigate the systems? How am I going to figure out how to do, you know, um, healthcare, that, you know, get them into school, get them medical care? And so I think that um, that the you know there's there's a good reason that it's moving towards kin. I think also because there's been such a shortage of foster parents and placing with relatives is going to help take care of, you know, address that shortage of um, non-relative caregivers. And I think ultimately it makes sense to, you know, the, the old system before we had foster care, people, to, the community took care of kids, you know, if somebody, grandmother stepped in like with Riley, or if, um, you know, they didn't have a relative, then the community would step in. And so, I think that it makes sense. We're kind of going backwards in a certain, to a certain degree, but I think that, you know, can, it goes hand in hand and it, it is the way that the, the system is. I think it, it, that's a good, you know, it's surprising that it was only 15 years ago that there became a priority for placement with kin. Um, it seems like that would have been so fields of, um, the 
federal government and the state level, it moved slowly. But I think having that federal legislation to make the push was really helpful. And and now we're we, you know we're seeing the um, fruits of that labor. Absolutely. And I think the timing is right to make this a priority at the state end, right? I mean, we've been mm-hmm. been talking about this and harping on this for a few years now with the, the message has always been, well, that's great, but we don't have the money, right? The state doesn't have the money to financially yeah. support Kim providers. Well, that's not an excuse anymore. These guys are sitting right. on a billion dollars with a B. Uh, you know, and so the time is right for the governor and the state legislature to prioritize this issue and 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 to make it known. And it's good that you know legislators are hearing about it, like Jack O'Malley, like others, Riley, from the work that you're doing and other folks are doing. We need legislators to hear about this. We need the governor's office to hear about this. And and we're at the beginning right now. We're about to start the state budgeting process, where you know the governor will present her budget to. Um, the legislature uh, here early February, early next month, um, and then the legislature will work off of that and present something back to the governor for our fiscal year 2023 state budget, which will actually start or take effect on October 1st of this year. And, and they have a ton of money to spend. And this, we think at Michigan's Children, and, and we know or hope that most of you listening or watching this program feel as well that you know support for kinship providers should be a priority as they're making decisions on how to spend all of these funds that they have at their disposal. And so uh, what would maybe Riley, what would be your message to uh, lawmakers and or the governor on on why they should prioritize, as you said, I mean, the challenges that that your family has faced um, given the kinship the, the with the kinship provider relationship that you have, and you know that others are facing as well, why should this be a priority for uh, lawmakers when they decide about how to spend all this money they got? Um, so I think it's a priority because I feel like more people would step up to the plate and take in their relatives. And mm-hmm. when and when you go into your, your like your family's home, like you still keep the ties. Like I still had ties with my like biological mom and my dad. So I got I still got to speak with them and like see how they were doing and like my parents knew what they were doing and stuff and it kept like you keep the culture you keep the ties like you're familiar with these people like when you go into foster care or like another like adoption home, like you don't know those people like it's a huge change like it feels like your life is just starting right over again but like going living with my grandma like I I got to have like a familiar face and it wasn't like such a big loss of like my biological parents because I still had like a relative that I knew and I was comfortable with. Absolutely. I, I love that too. You know, I think that sometimes the system, you know, can sort of toss aside the the violence, um, especially if rights are terminated. But what we see in our work is that nine times out of the 10, once um, young adults are out of the system, they reach right back out to their biological family. But it's really difficult to reestablish ties. They've been separated for, you know, a decade or longer. And so having that connection, but being able to do it in a safe way, you know, if there's issues with um, the biological parents that relative caregiver can assess, you know, or set up a way for a relationship to bloom that is, you know, and I think that that is huge overall, you know, being able to maintain your connection with your parents, um, even if it's limited, I think is just going to make 
from a mental health probably really beneficial, I would imagine. And Riley, you could probably speak to that, but. Yeah, it, it is very like, beneficial. And I, I love that I'm a kinship kid. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I like yeah. that I can speak on it and help other people. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, thank you, Riley Frisbee and Shannon Urban for being our guests and having a great conversation about this very important topic. Um, please stay tuned. Check out michiganschildren.org to see how you can get involved and engaged. As, uh, as I said, as the governor and the legislature move through this budget process and how we can fight together to make sure that uh, kinship providers and the kinship system is a priority as their spending decisions are made so that we can, uh, we can create even better opportunities uh, for kinship kids like Riley and those who are caring for them. So thanks again to our guests. Thank you as listeners. Uh, and please stay tuned for other podcasts. They'll come out monthly here throughout 2022 like we've done for the past. Thanks and have a good day. You've been listening to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children with host Matt Gillard. Thanks for joining us. To explore these and other issues relevant to our state's children, youth, and families, and to build your advocacy muscle, go to our website at www.michiganschildren.org. You'll find links and news about past and future podcast topics under our resource tab and action alerts under the Take Action tab. Find and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Terry Bannis and Stephen Wallace produced this podcast. Contact them with your questions and ideas for other topics. Michigan's Children is a nonprofit advocacy organization, an independent voice working to reduce disparities in child outcomes from cradle to career through policy change.